Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Before we get to today's episode, I want you to know that we at Time of Grace have a ton of resources to help you in your walk of faith. From our TV program, to daily devotions, to our Grace Talks video devotions, to podcasts, to our blog, to books, to other books, till still more books, uh, whatever you're looking for and however you best learn, you can stay rooted in Jesus by taking time out for God's word every day. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to sign up for our daily email. Now, on to today's episode. If you were to think about great people of the Bible, who would come to your mind? Okay, well, besides Jesus, hopefully you know our Savior Jesus and know that he's great, but besides Jesus, who would you think of as a great person, a hero of faith in the Bible? Well, maybe you'd think of Noah who built the ark, or Abraham, the father of all the Israelites, or Moses, or King David, maybe Jesus' disciple Peter or the Apostle Paul. Those are all great people for us to learn about and, and to learn from. But you know, you don't have to be famous, so to speak, to be a hero of faith. And so this week I want to spend some time thinking about lesser known people of the Bible who are still great people, great heroes of faith for us to learn about. And we'll focus especially on the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, to see some of these great people. So I have a good one for you to start with today. A man named Elihu. Extra brownie points if you know who Elihu is. If you don't know him, maybe you have heard of his more famous friend, a man named Job. Remember the story of Job? Job was that man who was tested by God. He was allowed to suffer so much. Maybe as much or more than any person in the history of the world. I mean, here's a guy who lost all of his possessions and wealth, his riches, his cattle. He lost all of his servants who were killed by an invading band of, of reckless people. And then in a natural disaster, he lost all 10 of his kids. And this is the same day. And then later on, he even lost his health as he was covered with painful sores from, from head to toe. And so the story of Job in the Bible is this epic tale of suffering with ongoing conversation about how to handle all of this pain and trouble in life. Well, at first, Job does pretty well and stands firm in his faith, and he has this dialogue with three of his friends, but his friends start turning on him, and they, they blame Job for something bad he has done, and they start to blame God for allowing this. Even Job's wife turns on him and, and tells him to just curse God and die. Well, this conversation, this turmoil about suffering goes on for 30-some chapters until finally a fourth friend enters the scene, this young man named Elihu. And so Elihu starts talking and he says, hey, guys, you know, I'm just a young buck here and I let you have your chance to talk a little bit and you said your piece, but you know what, I'm going to say something now. And I'm going to tell it like it is. And that's exactly what Elihu does. For five straight chapters, Elihu talks about how great and glorious our God is, about his majesty, his wisdom, his power, his plans. And in doing so, Elihu also kind of rebukes Job for questioning and doubting God and his plans and purpose for Job's life. Well, finally, when Elihu is done talking, that's when God enters the scene and and he sort of puts Job back in his place. And yeah, sure enough, 
God actually had planned that he bless Job with twice as much as he had in the first place, including 10 more children. Well, there's your whirlwind overview of the book of Job. So what can we learn about this and especially about Elihu? Well, how about find yourself a friend like Elihu? You know, it does us no good to have friends who are going to bring us down spiritually. People who might lead us away from God or people who are negative Nancys, Debbie Downers. No offense to any Debbies or Nancys out there. Uh, but you know those kinds of people who are always blaming God or, or blaming you, drawing you into sinful things. Find a friend like Elihu. Someone who's going to bring you and your suffering back to God, back to his word. Someone who's even willing to call you out when you are wrong and to correct you. Secondly, think of it the other way. Who can you be an Elihu to? Do you know someone who's suffering? Someone who needs encouragement, maybe a little correcting in their life? Be an Elihu friend to that person. Speak the truth of God, but speak it with love and care and encouragement. And maybe last point, no matter who you are, no matter how young you are, or even if you're just young in your faith as a believer, don't be afraid to be like Elihu and stand on the truth of God and tell it like it is. Be confident in our God and in his word. And when you do, you can be an unsung hero of faith too. This week we're talking about great unknown people of the Bible. And I have another obscure person for you to think about today. And that's a man named Jethro. We first meet Jethro in Exodus chapter 3 as he's harboring a fugitive in his own house. Well, who is this runaway criminal? It's actually Moses. So as the story went, Moses was in Egypt. He was raised in Pharaoh's house as an Egyptian, but he was actually an Israelite, a Jew. And one day he saw an Israelite and an Egyptian fighting. He stepped in and he ended up killing this Egyptian person. And so Moses had to run away and flee to a faraway land called Midian. And so Moses arrives and he finds these seven sisters who are all together and they're having a little bit of a problem with their flocks. And so Moses steps in and he helps these young ladies and they thank him and they bring him home to daddy, Jethro. And so there we meet Jethro, who is a shepherd and a priest in this land of Midian. And he welcomes Moses to his house. So very forgiving, very kind and caring. He thanks him for helping his daughters and even gives one of his daughters, Zipporah, to Moses to be a wife. Now, as a father of a daughter, <laughs> I'm not so sure what I would think about this, welcoming a stranger into my house. And I know their culture was a little bit different, but a runaway criminal, and, and then giving one of my daughters to Moses. Not so sure about this. So we see right away Jethro with his kindness, his forgiveness, his care and compassion. Well, it turned out to be a, a pretty good choice. And of course, blessed by God. There Moses lives and is tutored, I suppose you could say, mentored by his father-in-law for 40 years. And that's when God calls Moses to go back and to lead those people of Israel. And that's when that famous stuff happens like the 10 plagues and the let my people go and the Passover and all that kind of stuff. So we see Moses leading some 2 million Israelites now out of Egypt to the promised land. And that's when we meet Jethro again. Exodus chapter 18. 
So he comes to check in on his son-in-law. He brings his daughter, Moses' wife, and his grandchildren. And, and well, there's Moses, totally overwhelmed, uh, understandably so, some two million people. And, and we're told that night and day, all day long, people are just coming to Moses with their problems. And he's functioning as like the mediator and the arbiter for everything. Well, in steps Jethro with all of his wisdom and says, hey, son, how about you do this a little differently? And so Jethro recommends that he picks some leaders and, and divides up the people into big groups and small groups and that he uses these people like, like a cabinet of leaders or maybe in a church we'd say like deacons to help with the leadership of the people. Again, turned out to be a, a great choice. I've always thought of Jethro kind of like that elderly man, that grandfatherly figure who, who maybe sits quietly in the back of a church, doesn't say much, but you know, clearly you can tell he's been through the school of hard knocks in life, lots of experience. And so when that kind of guy talks, you want to listen to what he says because it's probably coming with a lot of wisdom in what he's going to say to you. I wonder if you maybe have something you're going through where you're feeling overwhelmed. Could you maybe catch your breath a little bit and, and find a Jethro? Find someone that, who's been through the, that school of hard knocks in life, someone who's got some godly wisdom and, and listen to what they have to say. Listen to their encouragement and how they have patiently endured life and they can help you too. At the same time, God gives wisdom through his Holy Spirit to each of us by faith. And so I wonder if you can be like Jethro for someone else. Surely you've been through enough in your life. Maybe someone else is struggling where you can give that kind of wisdom and care and encouragement to someone else. We don't know a lot about Jethro. We have just a couple stories, but we certainly see his love and compassion and his wisdom in the Bible. When you show those fruits of faith, you too can be an unsung hero of faith for the Lord. We're talking this week about great, unknown, unsung heroes of the Bible. And let me be absolutely clear, there are definitely great women who are heroes of faith in the Bible too. And so today I want to talk to you about one of those people, someone who's even mentioned in the book of Hebrews as a hero of faith. And I'm talking about Rahab the prostitute. And that's right, you heard me correctly, Rahab the prostitute. And so you might wonder, well, how can someone living a sinful life and lifestyle be considered a hero of faith? Well, let me explain. We meet Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. And the context here is that the people of Israel had left Egypt. They're on the door, knocking on the door of that promised land of Canaan. They're about to enter. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader and the general. And very wisely, Joshua sends some spies to go and scope out the land again before they enter. And so these spies go to a very famous and known city called Jericho. Well, as they enter Jericho, they want to find some cover, of course, and they go to Rahab's house. Now, don't get the wrong impression here, not to sinfully enjoy themselves. Uh, maybe we can understand it was common for travelers to end up at Rahab's house, so maybe they could kind of slip under cover there. Also, if you want some intel about the city, that was probably a good place to hear some things. 
Well, someone spilled the beans and the king of Jericho found out about this and he comes after these spies and lo and behold, it's Rahab who hides the spies on her roof and then sends the king's men away on a wild goose chase. And what follows is this beautiful confession of faith coming from Rahab. She talks about how great God is and the amazing things he had done in Egypt that she had heard about. And, and she talks about how she knew, somehow she knew, that God was going to give this land as the promised land to his people. And what's really amazing is that the whole time Rahab is using the special covenant name of God that he uses with his people, Yahweh or Jehovah, or in the English Bible, it's the Lord in all capital letters. One Bible commentator suggested that this is the longest uninterrupted narrative by a woman in the entire Bible. And so we have to wonder, well, where did this faith in Rahab come from? Did someone tell her about it? Did she find some scriptures somewhere? Or, or maybe did the spies even witness a little bit to Rahab? We don't know. But that's part of the amazing part of the story, how God's grace would touch this foreigner, this sinful woman, and so Rahab pleads with them, please, as you come into Jericho, spare me, spare my family, I'll help you out. And they agree. And so she lets them out of the window in her home, which was part of the wall. So she lets them out of the city and they leave and they come back. And maybe you've heard that children's song about Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. So they defeat Jericho and yes, they spare Rahab. So this, again, amazing story of God's love and grace but that's not the end right there. God's love to Rahab, this sinful woman, was so great that not only was she spared, but she was also literally brought into the family of God. She married an Israelite, and we're told in the Bible she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. And so if your Bible history wheels are turning a little bit here, maybe you're tracking, that means Rahab the prostitute is actually an ancestor of our Savior Jesus. There's so much to think about here, but how about this? Can it be more clear? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how great your sin, God's love is for you. God wants you as a part of his family. God wants to connect you to our Savior Jesus. And on top of that, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God can use you as a part of his great plans. Again, a, a, a sinful woman living a sinful lifestyle, this humble woman that God uses to bring his people into the promised land and then to continue the promise of a savior through her family. If God can forgive and use Rahab in his plans, God can forgive and use you and me. And the confidence and the joy of knowing God's grace to me, to you, sinners, that he would use us is what allows us to stand by faith, just like Rahab, to be unsung heroes of faith for the Lord. This week we've been thinking about unknown heroes of faith in the Bible and, and I think I've got a real stumper for you today, okay? So are you ready for this? Do you know these three names? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Know them? 
If you don't know those Hebrew Jewish names, maybe you know their other Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I have to admit, when, when I was a kid, I didn't really want to hear this bedtime story because I always thought the last guy's name was To Bed We Go. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go to bed right now. But no, it's, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their names. And if you're still stumped, if you're still stumped, maybe you've heard of the story about these three, the three men in the fiery furnace. Well, let me tell you a little more about this. It's about 600 B.C., and the big king is King Nebuchadnezzar. Many of the Israelites had been swept away into captivity, and Nebuchadnezzar was smart. He knew that he wanted to do away with these people, so he took the strongest, the brightest, the best, the youngest to his land of Babylon, and then he tried to do away with all of their culture to totally incorporate them into Babylonian life. Well, you can imagine this did not sit well with God's people. They wanted to preserve their line and, and their family line of God's promise for the coming Messiah. And they wanted to obey God's laws for their culture and customs too. And so Daniel, like famous Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel proposed that there's a little test. And so Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have this test where they only eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. And let's see what happens. Let's see how we compare. Sure enough, they test out to be wiser, greater, stronger than all of Nebuchadnezzar's men. And, and these Jews in exile are promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar. Awesome story about standing firm in the faith. But that's not the end of the story or their last encounter with King Nebuchadnezzar. The more notorious story is a little while later when Nebuchadnezzar, who was, well, say a little bit arrogant and selfish, he, he builds this giant statue, this idol that's like 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And, and he gives this order that whenever the right music is played, they should all bow down and worship. So it's not only worshiping an idol, but kind of worshiping Nebuchadnezzar too. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse. And they say, our God can deliver us from this or from anything that might be his will. It might not, but we will not bow down to another God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar and his men were furious. And so they have the consequence all set this fiery furnace and they crank up the heat to be seven times hotter than normal. So hot that, that even the standing soldiers nearby there, they die just being near the fire. And so they throw in these three men. And sure enough, as they look into the fire, not only are they not dead, but there's a fourth person there, an angel of the Lord, who's standing with them, guarding and protecting. So they didn't die. They weren't burned. Not even a hair on their head was singed. They didn't even smell like smoke or look like they had been around a campfire. So Nebuchadnezzar clearly found out who the real true God is from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm willing to bet that you have not been faced with the threat of being thrown into a fiery furnace, but I know you have stood the test of fires before. Maybe you've had a situation at work with a boss or the company making it difficult for you to arrange your schedule to be at church, to be at worship or Bible study or, or to serve with your gifts somehow. Maybe you have a coworker who just lets their mouth run with all kinds of foul and obscene and filthy things and you don't know what to say. Or maybe it's a social media battle. 
you know, not a fight, but that, that people would make fun of you or mock Christianity and the God that you worship and you, you feel that pressure from pervading culture around us. When you face the fire, know that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said is true. Our God can and will deliver you. Now, whether he delivers you in this life or delivers you to the next life in heaven, our God will do that. And that's according to his will. But you can be just like those men and take your stand with confidence that you will worship and follow no other God but the one true God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you stand firm in that faith, like these three men, that makes you an unsung hero of faith too. This week we have been talking about lesser known people in the Bible, unsung heroes of faith, if you will. And there are a lot of take-home points, but, but maybe a couple have risen to the top like this. God can use anyone and everyone as a part of his marvelous plans and promises for his people in this world. And today we see another example of that in a man named Mordecai. So here's your world context real quickly. It's about 480 BC, and now the Persians are in control of the entire world. They are ruling as the major empire, and many of the Jews are living in exile away from their home. And we hear this story in the Bible book called Esther. So the Persian king is unhappy with his wife, and he just deposes the queen. He gets rid of her. And so he's looking for a new queen. And that's when we hear about Mordecai, this elderly Jewish man, a little bit older, who's taking care of his cousin who was an orphan, this lady who had become a beautiful young woman named Esther. And so Mordecai encourages his young cousin to try out, if you will, to become queen. And lo and behold, the Persian king picks her. But this is not just blind luck here. This is part of God's awesome plan. So let me tell you about that. Turns out that Mordecai found out about an assassination plot on the Persian king. And so he actually helps this Persian king, a Jew living as an exile, helps the Persian king and helps to save his life. And so Mordecai is honored by the king for this awesome task, this awesome help of love that he does here. Well, here's the plot twist. There is another Persian, a power-hungry guy named Haman, who absolutely hates this and he wants to have the power, he wants control and he does not like Mordecai at all. And so Haman puts in motion this awful plot, this plan for literally a total holocaust, anti-Semitism at its worst, that, that he's going to set in motion this plan for all the Jews in the kingdom to be completely killed. Well, Mordecai is mortified. And so Mordecai goes to his cousin, the queen, Esther, and pleads with her to do something about it. And so Esther goes to her husband, the king, but that was kind of an iffy thing because she had not been invited into the royal presence. But Esther boldly goes, and she even boldly reveals her identity as a Jew, and she pleads her case and pleads for her people. Well, Long story short, as you probably know, the Jews are still around today. And so Esther and Mordecai save the day. Haman 
The Persian was exposed. He was the one that ended up being killed. And Esther and Mordecai rescued the Jewish people. As Mordecai is promoted in the Persian kingdom, the, the two of them, Esther and Mordecai, come up with this festival to celebrate and remember what God had done to save his people. And it was called Purim. And if you are up on a little bit of Jewish culture, you may know still today they celebrate Purim and remember Esther and Mordecai. Now you might think, hey, this is a pretty cool story, a little tidbit, a historical fact. And yes, it is that. But it's way more than this. I mean, think about this. You have the Jewish people being threatened. They could have been totally wiped off the face of the earth, which would have, of course, been tragic to lose an ethnicity of people. But even bigger than that, next level stuff, if there's no Jews, there's no Jesus. God's promise of a Savior through the line of Abraham would have fallen empty. And so here God uses this humble man, Mordecai, and his orphan cousin, Esther, to not only save his people, but in essence, down the road, to save the world through Jesus. I mean, this is incredible stuff. You know, you know who knows how God might use you? Who knows how God might use your little bit of Bible encouragement or an invite to church so that someone can hear about Jesus and come to faith? Uh, who knows how God might use your careful planning and your godly wisdom to spare yourself, your family, someone else from danger or disaster? I, I mean, who knows how God might use you to literally change the world like he did with Mordecai and Esther? Well, I'm going to answer my own rhetorical questions here. Who knows? God knows. God knows how he will use his people. God knows how he will use you. And so as we think about unknown and unsung heroes of faith, it's not about how great they are or the great things they've done. This is all about how great our God is and how great our Savior Jesus is, that he would bring us sinners into his family, that he would love us and forgive us. And then, imagine this, even use us in his plans and purposes. So as you go about your day, and the rest of your week, and as you march forward in life, know with confidence how much our God loves you and that every plan, every purpose of his will work out for your good and for his greater plan for this world. And as you have that confidence in your faith, that will make you an unsung hero of faith.